Welcome to Professor Forever. I am the Professor Forever. I hope you're all well today or tonight, whenever you happen to be listening. And thank you for listening. I wanted to say that last week when I gave my review of Avatar, a very loyal listener pointed out to me that I made a mistake about James Cameron. While he did ride in the Deep Sea Challenger, uh, he did not invent it. And I thought he had. He certainly is responsible for um, making many different underwater uh, devices. And certainly with filming underwater, he has made many strides and innovations. But anyway, uh, he was right to turn me on to that uh, mistake. And I apologize for that. Okay. I want to talk about mechanics and mechanical thinkers today. I am not a mechanical thinker. However, I have had periods of my life where I have been more mechanical. And I have aspects of my life now that are unbelievably mechanical. And so I'd like to talk about those things. There was an interesting article in my favorite magazine, and you know what that is, The New Yorker. I think it was last week's edition about the different types of thinking the thinking process, and how different people think in different ways. And it focused a lot, or at least uh, the author of this critique of different works that are out there now, Joshua Rothman, who is also a poet, I think. Um, It focused a lot on visual thinkers, it talks somewhat about verbal thinkers, but the, the, this article leans towards giving more information about visual thinkers. One of the books that was reviewed, I guess is the word I want to use, uh, Temple Grandin has a new book out there. It has a really long title, uh, but I'm sure you can find it if you look it up. I can't recall it off the top of my head. Do you know who Temple Grandin is? She was in a movie. A movie was made about her life. She is on the autism spectrum. She had a very challenging uh, life, as many people on the autistic 
spectrum do on the autism spectrum ended up now she is i think she still teaches is a professor of agricultural engineering and she is known for probably most for designing humane slaughterhouses the story of her life in the movie that is the same name as she has the eponymous movie temple grandin is very interesting i think it's claire danes who plays her in a fabulous acting performance also so if you like good acting uh, you might want to check that out just for that but it's an interesting biopic i've talked about how i feel about biopics before but you know i think that nothing is nonfiction. I think the way we live and the way we perceive things has fictional elements in it. It has to. We fill in the gaps because we don't know all of what's out there or in there. And so our lives are a mix of fact and fiction. So anyway, uh, it's a good biopic, though, to get back to that. Um, she says that visual thinkers, and she is a visual thinker, and they give great examples of how she thinks in visual ways. She says that visual thinkers have been sidelined to a great degree and surpassed by verbal thinkers. When you think of boardrooms and executives of companies and other positions of power, and I'm thinking of about America in particular right now. So Grandin argues that there should be more visual thinkers in these positions of power. And when she says visual thinkers, she means people like mechanics and plumbers and visual artists, and anybody who works with machinery would be part of this group, too. I agree with this. I have talked about it before on the podcast. I have talked about it in my classroom. I have told students that they are in an academic institution and so their minds are often engaged in logic and verbal information, but that they should not ever judge people who don't think in the ways that, you know, who aren't book learners or readers. What would we do in this society? I ask my students, if we didn't have plumbers and construction workers and all these people who do very mechanical jobs or jobs with their hands, and that would be visual learners, what would we do without them? It seems that our country does side with verbal thinkers. So I agree with Temple Grandin. It is an issue, and it should be amended. Now, 
there was a time that I did not think that openly about people who weren't verbal thinkers. You know, I've talked about kind of being an asshole when I was a teenager. Most teenagers are assholes. And the reason that they are, in my opinion, is because they don't think very deeply. And a lot of them can't. They don't have the mental maturity to do that. So I remember one time telling my mother that I didn't like one of my cousins who was a construction worker. And she was very fond of this person. And she sat me down and she said to me, do you know how difficult it is to operate a bulldozer? Do you know how many gears and what the instrument panel looks like? Something akin to maybe a rocket ship or a jet and knowing how to work those with fine skill. Do you know how much practice that takes? And so that was a wonderful lesson that she gave me. I still did not like this relative. (laughs) There were other reasons for that, but I think it did open my mind a little bit about, you know, maybe there are some things to be learned from people who think differently than what I did. I think that might have been my first lesson in that. But I want to say, too, that I feel like I was more mechanical when I was a child. I was able to fix my bike when my bike broke. So not even just like chain breaking. And I did know how to fix a broken chain. But even some things about my gears, I remember being able to fix that. Is this something from the collective unconscious that we all have and then it goes away? I don't know. So I remember also, I guess I'm going kind of chronologically here with my thinking about mechanical thinkers. I remember sitting in a tavern on Chicago Avenue in the 90s. And the tavern was called Pippin's. And I remember sitting there after work and drinking with friends and watching as an entire huge hotel, I think it's a Hilton, went up across the street. And I was fascinated by many things about that project that came into being. One was how quickly they did it. It looks like people are just milling around on a construction site. Have you ever noticed that? Or is this just my way of seeing it? It looks like there are many people just walking around or standing there and waiting for the concrete mixer to finish. But it can't be so if you look at the rate of progress on a construction project like that. I also thought to myself, and I still think to myself, how do these men know how to do this stuff? I can't picture all of them getting together when they start their day, usually at right 6.30 or 7, 
and talking about taking little training sessions or watching videos to train themselves on how to put together a building. So do they just learn by watching? And does everybody that's on a construction site learn that way? Do some people take longer to learn than others? These are all questions that went through my mind as I was downing a pint at Pippin's. And so are there people that try to do construction work and then they can't do it because they can't pick up on this stuff quickly enough? And of course, there are huge expectations on people that are making buildings like a huge Hilton hotel in a major city. Well, any building, really, right? It has to pass all these codes and there are ordinances that have to be followed. How do they learn that part? My God. And do they ever go home at night and think, oh my God, I didn't put that screw in tightly enough. And now that door is going to fall off that one room on the seventh floor. So I just don't, I still wonder about this. I guess I haven't talked to a construction person to the amount that I should to get the answer to these things. And I'm thinking right now that I actually do have a person, a welder in my life, and I could ask these questions. But if they're not verbal people, will they be able to answer these questions? Anyway, I could just go around and around with this. I remember I wasn't very good at spatial relations on the Iowa test. Remember the Iowa tests? And I got a little afraid to finish that section because it was the section that I did the worst on. Of course, I did really well in the the language part and the math part, but spatial relations, I just didn't do very well. Give me a map and I will get lost. Ask some people that have been traveling with me in the era of paper maps. And so was it the failure of getting in the 99th percentile on the Iowa test in that spatial relations section that then promoted a worse performance on real-life tasks? I don't think the answer to that can ever be known. But, so... I would rather have someone tell me where to go any day than somebody give me a map and say, here, find your way to Piqua. And so the development and advancement of GPS systems and maps that can tell you where to go in a British accent, if you prefer. <laughs> Those have been wonderful advancements for me. So, I'm telling you, I used to be more mechanical when I was a kid. Now, to talk about this a little bit more, is this something that we all have in our collective unconscious? And 
we lose it. You know, I believe in the collective unconscious. I believe that humans from, you know, prehistory, the first humans, learned things that then stayed in our genetic memory. I suppose some people don't believe that, but I do. Um, you know, an example of that would be, we all know what time it is. Have you ever noticed that? You can make yourself wake up at 7.14 a.m. if you want to. And I think that this is part of the collective unconscious, that we used to know about time, or at least time of day, before we even had watches. I mean, I guess they looked at the sun, but there's something internal in us. There's an internal clock that can tell us what time it is. And every once in a while, at least for me, this internal knowledge can come forward. Of course, we're lazy now, right? And we use clocks way too often, kind of like how some young people these days don't know how to count change, right? They look at a cash register and they see what they are supposed to give back and they just give you that. When was the last time that a cashier actually counted back your change to you by going through the coins and then handing you the bills? I'm going to say for me, I can't even remember when that was. So, how people think is certainly, of course, on a spectrum, like all aspects of human attributes. The visual verbal categories are on a, you know, a gradient scale. So maybe that's part of the answer. Maybe I kind of know some mechanical, have some mechanical aptitude in my mind. My father was very mechanical. He started out his career as a TV repairman. And he could fix cars and other things in our garage like a whiz. So is it also something that can be inherited? I suppose the answer to that seems pretty simple. I'm guessing that yes, it can. And there is someone in my family who is very uh, visual-oriented. Only one out of five, though. So that's interesting. Does the verbal attribute, is it more dominant than the visual spatial relations attribute of thinking? I guess I need to buy some of these books that were listed in the Rothman article, huh? Even though I was more mechanical as a kid, I was able to fix the lawnmower too, now that I think about it. There are some things that I am actually mechanical about now. So where did that come from? I can fix filters on my aquariums and I can figure out a problem and rig something up. Now, is that just from 
trying different things and reading about that for years? And if I could do that, why can't I fix a lawnmower now? Is it something very specific that I know that I have memory for because I do it over and over again or have had to do it over and over again during the 15 years that I have been a an aquarium owner, a fish owner? I think about kids. So I told you I had this wonderful child in my life now, Ben. And he loves wheels. I actually wish I could remember this series of videos from the 90s where a guy was explaining how different machinery worked. I did a story on him for screen. It's not micro machines. I've heard people talk about that show. This was just a series of videos. It would be awesome to get for my lovely little, I don't, relative, I guess. I don't know what to call him. My nephew. Sometimes I just call him my boy. But he would love to see these big machines moving, I think. And all the different kinds of wheels, the tracks that go on bulldozers. Speaking of tracks on bulldozers, I also am fascinated when I watch the Gold Rush series. So I started that in like 2010. And I am fascinated by how these men are so mechanical. And I like watching these machines work to advance the argument that these are visual thinkers. If you've ever watched the series Gold Rush, when they say, so things break down all the time at a mine. And so they have to fix them. And they will explain what is wrong with something. And the mechanics just go right to fixing it. But the show itself will give you a pictorial uh, rendition of what is wrong and how they're going to fix it. And that really helps verbal-minded people like me, I think. But I'm fascinated by it. And I And I think that this young little boy would be fascinated with this show and with this series of mechanical videos. But I wonder, is this something that he has come upon because people give him trucks and cars, or is it more innate? And will it go away? Do all little boys like trucks because they're given trucks? Now, I know that this is an era where we're trying to be more, you know, androgynous in our gift giving and to kind of flatten out the distinctions between genders. So this might change and maybe girls will start getting many trucks and cars. And But are they more verbal? Are females more verbal? If you look at the industries... I think that you would say it looks like men tend more to go towards these visual-oriented jobs. But is that just a social construct? Did we push that ever since this person had a gender and 
We wanted them to behave in a certain way. So many questions come up that I didn't even realize. Hmm. And also, even though I feel like I'm not a very mechanical person or a visual person, I mean, I used to go around to every wall and door in abodes where I lived when I was moving to say goodbye. I like touching things. I really like texture. But you know what? I can also remember those locations with specific detail. So that's a type of visual thinking too, right? So if I can remember that, but when I write poetry, I have been challenged when I have been told to put more setting or even told myself, why don't I have more setting in this poem? Where am I? Where is the speaker of this poem? What do they see? So I'm not very detailed when it comes to writing down visual aspects. It's so fascinating to me. What do you think about all of this? Where would you put yourself on a scale, a gradient scale of visual or verbal thinking? Do you feel like you were more verbal or more visual when you were younger? Do you believe in the collective unconscious? Are you more verbal now? Are you more visual now? Can you figure out something that happened that made you that way? Do you believe that television shows can actually impact your processes of thinking to the point where you could become an expert or a professional at something by watching? And what do you think about construction workers being able to put up Hilton's within a month? Please let me know what you think and what you see. Thanks for listening. Keep thinking and seeing. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever Professor